everybody. Can everybody please take their seats and we'll get uh, started with the SACPA session. Is that loud enough? Um, I'd like to welcome everybody to the SACPUD session this Thursday. Um, I'm going to be your moderator today. My name is Michelle Day. Um, I would like to just go over some house uh, rules before we bring up our guest presenter. Um, for all of those that have your cell phones on and turned up, can you please turn your cell phones um, down or off for the presentation? Um, I want to um, state that, uh, that we will be recorded in the presentation and the Q&A will be recorded today. Um, Shaw Spotlight records the SACPA presentations and excerpts from the PowerPoints. And if you'd like to see it after, please go to the SACPA website to access the presentation. Um, the dinner today, it costs $14, so if everybody could put their $14 into the center basket on the table. Um, if you're having coffee, it's $2. And if somebody at the table could be the brave one to ensure that it's all accounted for before a SACPA um, person comes around to pick up the baskets. Um, so for those who haven't been to a SACPA session before, the presentation is about 25 to 30 minutes long. Um, then there'll be a break for lunch, and then we reconvene uh, for the Q&A. And usually uh, everything wraps up about 1.30. So with further ado, um, the today's topic is, is Canada's equalization payments formula fair to all the provinces? Um, we have ongoing discussions in the West, including Alberta, about are we being treated fair? What are they doing with our money out East? Who's receiving our money out East? Are we getting any money back? And currently, it's definitely a hot topic with the current election climate here in Alberta. So with that, to go into the details and maybe cut through some of the emotive pieces that us Albertans uh, often uh, make conversation on, I'd like to uh, introduce Dr. Trevor Toome. Um, he is an Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Calgary and a res Research Fellow at the School of Public Policy. Prior to joining the University of Calgary in 2012, he was an Assistant Professor of Economics at the Wilfrid Laurier University. He received his BBA Finance from Simon Fraser University and his MA and PhD economics from the University of Toronto. Um, so when I heard that Dr. Toome was coming here, I decided to do some research. And if you do, please follow him on Twitter because um, his information is ongoing and he has a very, very great sense of humor. So with that, I'd like to welcome Dr. Toome to the stage. Well, it is great to be here, and it's especially great to see so many people coming out for a topic on public finance and federal transfers, and I guess during the campaign, it's a little bit more active of a discussion about equalization, so I'm really looking forward to uh, not just the talk, but the Q&A after. 
after our lunch. So let me just start by kind of framing it. The equalization is not just a topic that animates a lot of discussion here in Alberta. Uh, so clearly we hear a lot of quotes like the one up on the top here from, from many in the province, from all sides of the political spectrum, that Canada's unfair equalization formula punishes Alberta. This is a direct quote, but I'm not going to say who it's from, given the campaign. I'm going to try and stay neutral. But the second and third bullet points are interesting, too. We've been shafted again and again. Former Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, Danny Williams. And this might come as a surprise to some Albertans, but you can hear really a lot of frustration about the equalization formula from Quebec politicians as well. One in particular, former Bloc Québécois MP, saying Quebecers are getting swindled by the equalization formula. So it is an important policy issue, and it rubs, I think, almost every province the wrong way. Uh, so to begin, I want to start with just a little historical context to kind of set the stage so that we know how we got here, right? Why do federal transfers exist? And I want to kind of make the bold claim that transfers are transfers and frustration around fiscal issues are why Canada exists in the first place. And so we have to dial the clock back to before Canada became a country to the province of Canada, which was the union between Quebec and Ontario at the time, Upper and Lower Canada. So there was a lot of tension in these regions, uh, linguistic and religion, uh, to be sure. But Ontario, which was Canada West at the time, they contributed three quarters of the United Province of Canada's overall budget, but only half the spending was spent within Canada West, right? This sounds familiar uh, here in Alberta, right, where we contribute a lot federally and there is less spent here than is contributed. So this, this was the case for Canada West at the time and it was very, very frustrating and led to uh, these three gentlemen here, McDonald, Cartier, and Brown to get together and try to think of how to solve this problem. And the solution was to separate Canada West and Canada East, uh, have a federal government that did things that were in the common interest, and then local governments, provincial governments, just deal with all the kind of day-to-day public services that are uh, uh, that led to the unequal level of spending between the two regions. So federation was the solution, but the, the trick here uh, was that they needed to get the Maritimes on board too, right? To have a federation within the British North America colonies, you needed the Maritimes on board. Uh, and the Maritimes were interesting because Nova Scotia was really the Alberta of its day. Uh, you had of the overwhelming majority of government revenue was raised by Taxes on trade, customs tariffs, that generated by far uh, the overwhelming majority of revenue for all governments, and Nova Scotia in particular. They're out there in the Atlantic Ocean, Halifax port, quite a bit more active, higher volume of trade than what we see elsewhere. So they were able to raise more money at lower taxes than the rest of uh, the British North America colonies could. So Canada, the province of Canada, their tariff, their tax on trade was over 13.5%. Whereas in Nova Scotia, it was eight and a half. And Canada could raise $3.45 per person, which was a lot at the time. Uh, whereas Nova Scotia could raise $4.20. So lower taxes, higher revenue. And then the province of Canada comes and asks the Maritimes, hey, would you like to join this new federal system that we're setting up? Oh, and by the way, the federal government is going to collect all of the taxes on trade. And so then 
think of what Nova Scotians are thinking. They're like, well, we're smaller relative to the rest of what would be Canada. We're going to have our trade taxes increase, and we're going to lose this big source of revenue. The money will be spent elsewhere in the country. So uh, we don't want that. Even worse, the responsibilities that the federal government would take on really benefited central Canada at the expense of the maritime. So here I just kind of plop it in a graph here. What we're looking at is for the province of Canada on the right and Nova Scotia on the left, how the revenue and spending would be split under the new Canadian federal system. So in light blue, that's what the feds would take. In dark blue, that's, what's, that's what the province would continue to have or have responsibility for. So for Nova Scotia, the federal government would take about half of the spending. Things like railways, stuff like that, it would take on and Ottawa would, would, uh, would pay for. But it would take from Nova Scotia about three quarters of the revenue. Right? So you see this big gap then. Nova Scotia's looking, well now I have a lot more spending responsibilities than I have capacity to, to pay for. Meanwhile, in the province of Canada, so the Ontario and Quebec of its day, the feds would take about three quarters of their spending, but only take about half of their revenue. So they would be left in a very beneficial situation where the revenue that they would have left over uh, exceeded their expenditure responsibilities. So the solution was transfers. Transfers that would benefit the Maritimes more than they would Central Canada. And these transfers took two forms. I'll be kind of quick on, on them both. One, we don't need to read this. This is just a screenshot of the Constitution at the time. Uh, something called debt allowances, where the provinces would give to the federal government their debt. Uh, and the way it was structured is Ontario and Quebec were not able to effectively give all of their debt to Ottawa. So they were only allowed a certain amount. Whereas Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, they could give all of their debt plus get credit for a whole bunch of debt that they didn't offload. So there was benefits in these debt allowances. But more importantly, were some subsidies, federal transfers, direct cash transfers from Ottawa to the provinces. And different provinces got different amounts. And it was structured in a way that benefited the Maritimes more than Central Canada. And they were all just calibrated just right so that all those differential revenue and expenditure um, issues that I mentioned earlier would kind of wash out for the Maritimes. And it's interesting that the subsidy here that they decided at the time was about 80 cents per person. Big dollars, right? Uh, we still get that today, interestingly. So each, each province still receives their 80 cent per person transfer doesn't add up to much, so no one really knows it exists, but it's there. It's transferred every year. Interestingly, in the Constitution, they said that this was in full settlement of all future demands on Canada. This was saying, done. All the issues around federal transfers, it's over. This is, the, the, this, this is how it's going to be, and from here on out, you're just on your own. Okay? Of course, as we know, uh, it didn't work out that way. There was change after change special grants given to Nova Scotia. They elected a separatist government, so they needed to get a little bit more transfer to calm, calm that down. Uh, changes to the debt allowances, benefiting Ontario and Quebec. New special subsidy to New Brunswick. Manitoba gets more, and so on and so on. Special subsidies to PEI. All this builds, and then finally Alberta and Saskatchewan join Confederation, and we get the sweetest deal. Uh, and this causes a lot of uh, 
frustration in other parts of the country that ultimately leads to a whole amendment to the Constitution in 1907, where they rejig all the subsidies. I'm not going to go into the details there. And then, and then declare that this change in federal subsidy, this is final. It is unalterable. That's the language in the Constitution. Uh, but then, of course, a few months later, special grant to BC, special grant to PEI, more to Manitoba, another grant to, to BC, Maritimes, and so on and so on. Now, World War II is an interesting time because, of course, this represents a, a huge demand on federal, federal fiscal resources. So the provinces kind of agree to shift all their tax space to Ottawa for the war effort. So it kind of creates a clean slate. Uh, but after the war, of course, there's change after change after change in all of the federal fiscal transfer relationships that we see and an explosion in the size of those transfers. So to give you a sense of how much things had changed before and after the war, what I'm plotting here is the size of federal transfers to provincial governments as a share of Canada's overall economy. It's almost 4% now, so that's, that's pretty large in a two and a bit trillion dollar economy. But you can see that prior to World War II, the importance of subsidies was gradually declining and then it exploded after that. Okay. So it is an important policy issue because it accounts for so much of federal spending and of our overall economy. And the ultimate concern that we hear expressed is that these transfers are unequal, right? especially provinces that do not receive as much as others, is, that's a source of frustration. So next, what I'm plotting here is a measure of the degree of inequality in those transfers. If you can squint and see the vertical axis there, that represents how much of the federal transfers would you need to reallocate in order to achieve equality. So if I have a dollar in transfer and someone else has $2 in transfer, that is unequal. And we would need to reallocate 50 cents in order to make us perfectly equal at a buck 50. So that's kind of what this measure is here. You can see rising inequality from all those special arrangements that I, that I noted on the previous slide there. Rising inequality up to World War II, then big drop during the war. Uh, big increase in inequality after the war. Uh, because it took a little while for arrangements to uh, settle, and they did settle in the late 1950s. But then you see that today we're at a level of inequality that's kind of comparable to where we were in the 1860s. So we're at, a, we're at a time now where federal transfers are actually quite a bit more equal than has been the, the case for most of Canada's history. So that brings us to today. Uh, so I want to talk about... Uh, transfers in general, but equalization in particular, right? That's really the, the topic that brought us here today. So I'll note that there are first three major transfer programs. There's one for health, there's one for social spending, and then there is equalization. So in red and blue, these are the health and social transfers. Notice every single province receives exactly the same amount per person from the health and social transfer. That's actually a new change brought in uh, by the former federal conservative government in 2007, fully phased in by 2014. So this is kind of new, where those major transfer programs, which are by far the largest, um, oh, thanks, uh, are even, perfectly even, per person. The only major transfer program that is unequal is equalization. 
So where did equalization come from? It, it started in the 50s. It started in 1957. But interestingly, it didn't start as a program that was meant to transfer resources to lower income provinces. It started as a compromise between the federal and provincial governments. After World War II, the provinces kind of wanted their tax back, their tax room, right? The war's over, can I have my income tax back? And then the federal government's like, well, uh, I'd really rather you didn't have the income tax room back. And <laughs> now there was, there's no constitutional ability of the federal government to deny the provinces their right to levy an income tax. So the Fed said, I'll give you this transfer, this pretty generous transfer, if you agree not to implement your own income tax system. And after the war, uh, eight out of the 10 provinces agreed, Ontario and Quebec did not. So the Fed said, great, that's fine, no transfer for you, and they didn't receive a thing. Meanwhile, every other province is receiving a transfer, Ontario and Quebec are in this tough situation because if they introduce their own income tax, it'll be in addition to the federal income tax that's fairly large that exists. So there's years of back and forth negotiation. And then finally, the feds say, all right, if you implement your own income tax system, that's fine. The transfer I will give you will only top you up to basically what I would have given you if you agreed not to have your own income tax system. So it was designed in a way so that you wouldn't be left with nothing, taxpayers wouldn't be double taxed, and you'd get a top up, which would make you kind of indifferent between a world where you agreed to not implement your own income tax system and a world where you actually implemented your, your own. So just to illustrate that, in red, this is what the transfers were if you agreed to the federal plan, the feds would give you between 30 and 40 bucks a person in transfer. The compromise was to split that in two. In green, this is kind of what you would raise if you had your own income tax system. And then in blue was the top up. That's equalization. Okay, so equalization as we know it today was not at all how it was started which was just this compromise to help normalize the income tax system after the war. Okay. Now, after that, it did, of course, evolve into what we know today. Equalization as a size of Canada's economy grew significantly through the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, peaking at about 1.2% of GDP. That means 1.2 or $1.20 of 1.2 cents of every dollar earned in income in the entire country was reallocated through equalization. And today, that's, it's declined, but it's about 0.8% or so as a share of the economy. And these dotted lines we're seeing are moments where there were major changes to the formula. So there were recently major changes in 2007 and during the financial crisis. So I'm going to talk just about what the formula looks like today. Uh, though there are lots of interesting uh, differences between what we have now and what we had then. So, equalization today in one graph is this. 
So I want to linger on this graph because it's potentially the most important one to understand what the equalization program is, how it works, how we determine how much each province gets. So equalization tops up what's called fiscal capacity. We measure first how big are the tax bases in each province. We ask how much income is there in the province? Total, like total household income. We ask how much consumer spending is there in total? Total spending on consumer goods. How much investment is there in each province? How much are property values worth in total? Right? These are the bases upon which we levy our taxes. Then we ask, if you had average tax rates, right, if you had taxes that were the typical tax rate that we see in Canada, how much would you raise? That's what we're plotting in red. The amount that you would raise if your tax rates were exactly equal to the national average. You can see in red that there's a lot of variation across provinces. If BC had average tax rates, it would raise, according to these estimates, a little over $10,000 per person in provincial government revenue. If Alberta were to have average tax rates, it would raise a little over $12,000 per person in provincial revenue. But kind of squint there and look at PEI. PEI, if they had average tax rates, they would raise, uh, just eyeballing it here, around $7,000 per person. Right? So there's large differences across provinces in their ability to raise revenue. Simply because some provinces have high levels of income and other provinces have low levels of income. So if we all had the same income tax rate everywhere in the country, the low-income province would raise less than the high-income one. So that's what we're seeing here in red. Equalization then looks at your ability to raise revenue and then tops up provinces that have a low ability. It tops them up to an average. Right? So notice the blue is kind of like you're pouring water in and it is filling in the low areas um, in red up to the national average amount. Okay. That's equalization. So there's, of course, a lot of uh, nuance and complexity behind the red bars. But in principle, it's just asking, what's your ability to raise revenue? And then I'm going to top you up to the average if you're below it. That's it. If you like math, here's a slide for you. Uh, <laughs> the equalization formula is is at its core really just three things. It's asking, well, how much total provincial revenue is there out there in the country? Um, 350 or so billion dollars uh, captured uh, by the measurements behind the formula, so that's capital R. And then it asks, province by province, how many people are in the province? And what share of total fiscal capacity is in that province? If you have more people, then you have fiscal capacity, then you're a below average province and I'm gonna to top you up. But if you're a rich province, you have a lot more fiscal capacity, I see I have five minutes left, then you have people, then you're not gonna receive any equalization. So this at its core is the equalization formula, just three variables, so not very 
not very complex. So given, given five minutes, I want to jump ahead just kind of two slides. I'm going to skip this one. Another way to think about fiscal capacity is just economic strength. So here I'm plotting the red bars, the same red bars as before, but next to them I'm plotting GDP per person, just a broad measure of economic activity. How big is your economy? Provinces with strong economies like Alberta, like Saskatchewan, um, and then number three is Newfoundland and Labrador, those are provinces that have an easier time raising revenue because there's more income, there's more spending. Uh, whereas provinces like the Maritimes with weaker economies, they have lower levels of fiscal capacity. So we should really think about equalization as a transfer program that targets provinces with weak economies. That gets you well over 90% of the way there. That's all the intuition that we need. Right? If you have a weak economy, you'll get a top up. If you have an above average economy, you won't. That's it. Now, why does Alberta have a deficit then? Like, we're looking at a very large deficit. Quebec, meanwhile, has a surplus. What's going on there? So the difference that we have to keep in mind is that equalization measures your ability to raise revenue, not the actual revenue that you choose to raise. Right? Alberta has a lot of consumer spending. We have a large sales tax base, even though we choose not to levy a tax on that base. So there are differences in tax rates across provinces. Some provinces have much higher taxes than others. So here, what we're looking at is the actual revenue that you raise compared to your fiscal capacity relative to the average amount. So the way you read this bar is that if you're below the red line, it means your tax rates are lower than average. If you are above the red line, your tax rates are above the average. And Alberta, among all the, the provincial tax um, items that are captured by the formula, which is almost all revenue sources, we have about 30% lower taxes here than the national average. Whereas Quebec has about 30% higher taxes than the national average. So our deficit is in part due to a combination of choosing to have high levels of spending in Alberta and choosing to have low tax rates. Whereas Quebec's surplus is a function, of course, also of their choosing to have high taxes. Um, and that's not something that is incorporated directly into the formula. The formula for equalization looks at your capacity to raise revenue, not the actual revenue that you raise. So that's important. Now, I assume there's just two or three minutes left, so I want to end with two final thoughts. We went through a, a massive recession in Alberta. Right. Incomes here, the economy shrank between 2014 and 2016 by nearly 20%. There were 75 billion fewer dollars of income being earned in 2016 than there was in 2014. Right. That is huge. Why didn't we get equalization? Right. That's not a strong economy, uh, but it, it still left us in the top spot. So we were number one by a very wide margin, and then at the bottom of the recession, we were still number one just by a lower margin. Um, and to illustrate that, I'm going to plot us here. Fiscal capacity by province over time from 1980 to today. You see that Alberta moves up and down, right? We dropped a lot in 1986, big oil price shock then. 
Our fiscal capacity grew a lot after 2000 as we had some boom time before the financial crisis. And you can see the size of our fiscal capacity recently after 2014 there dropped a lot. But Alberta there is the dark blue line at the top. We are always in the top spot, though we're much closer to other provinces today than we usually are in past years. We still have the strongest economy, and that's really the ultimate reason why equalization is not paid out to Alberta, but is paid out uh, to others. I'll note also that equalization is not fully equalizing fiscal capacity across provinces. There's lots of complex bells and whistles behind that formula, and just to illustrate how important those bells and whistles are sometimes. Uh, in red, these are the actual equalization dollars paid out, nearly 20 billion uh, this year. Over time, for the past uh, 40 years or so, in blue, that's how large equalization would have to be if it fully uh, brought up those below average provinces to the average level. And in times during oil price booms, for example, uh, in, in the 70s up to uh, the early 80s, and more recently after 2000, during those boom times, equalization fell far short of actually bringing up the below average provinces to the average level. Uh, but notice equalization is never overpaying. It's never doing more than bringing up people to the average level uh, because the red line is never uh, above the blue. So, Given, given the time, I hear it's strict and there is food waiting for us. I will end right here um, and I look forward to the, the Q&A. Thank you very much.